Hello, this is Ahuka, and welcome to Hacker Public Radio for another exciting episode. And this is a continuation of our security and privacy series. Now, we have uh, done some general looks at some of the issues around security and privacy. And then we've gotten into how you can create a key pair, as it's called, um, public and private key. And it seems like it'd be a good time to start talking about how you use this stuff. And we're going to take a look at uh, this one and the, in the next episode in this series. We will take a look at how to practically put this information to use. So I'm going to start with Thunderbird. Now, Thunderbird is an email client that uh, is very popular. It is cross-platform, it is free, it is open source. So it seems like a, a pretty good place to start this. All right. Now, encrypted communication via email is very desirable if you wish to keep a secret. Uh, in the U.S., the current legal precedents say that any email left on a server is not protected since you would have no expectation of privacy. This precedent was set many years ago when POP3 was the standard for all email and people did not usually leave email on a server. These days, many people use web-based email or use uh, a newer standard called IMAP, which by default stores everything on the server. Perhaps you are one of these people and thought that you had a right to expect privacy, but in the United States you don't, and I would expect that in many other countries the situation is no better. Now, there have been attempts to provide encrypted email service from a service provider, but the problem here is that the provider usually has to have the key in order to encrypt the email. And if they have the key, they can be compelled to give it up. Recently in the United States, there was a case involving a gentleman named Ladar Levison, who ran such a service called LavaBit. LavaBit encrypted mail in transit using TLS encryption, its transport layer security, and he had the keys. When his service was used by Edward Snowden, the government came to get the keys. Now, Levison would have given them the key for Snowden's email if he had been served a warrant, as he always made clear to his customers that he would obey proper legal demands. But in this case, the government demanded that he turn over all of the keys for all of his customers. And this was too far for Levison. He shut down his service rather than cooperate and is a bit of a hero for that. But it illustrates that you are at the mercy of the service provider. If the government made this demand to LavaBit, you are safe in presuming they had made the same demand to other providers and that they all cooperated with the government and said nothing to their customers. So it would be a mistake to rely on third-party mail service providers to give you privacy. You need to control it yourself. But of course, after the last few uh, lessons we've done, you know how to do that. You know how to create secure keys, so put them to use. Now, generally, there are two uses of encryption in email. One of them is signing, and the other is encrypting the message. Signing does not encrypt the message, but what it does is provide authenticity. When you sign an email with your key, also referred to as a digital signature, 
you are making a hash of the actual message, then encrypting that hash with your key in such a way that it can be validated as coming from you. This accomplishes two desirable things. First, it guarantees the integrity of the contents of the message itself. Since the contents had a hash created, which can be checked against the message when it is uh, received. This is much like the use of MD5 hashes to verify the integrity of downloaded software. With software downloads, a hash is made of the binary file, and then you run a similar hashing program on the downloaded file and see if the two hashes match. If they do match, you know your copy is a bit-perfect copy of the original and no mistakes occurred in the downloading. But if even one bit is changed, the hash you get will be completely different. Now, uh, I'm not going to get into the question of what a hash is at this point, other than to say it is an example of one of those one-way functions. All right? This function can easily produce the hash, but if you have the hash, you cannot go back to the original from it. It's, that's what we mean by one-way. Uh, in your email, then, the hash that goes into your digital signature is unique. And if anyone tampers with the message en route and changes even one single character of the message, it would result in a totally different hash which could be detected by the recipient. The other useful function of a digital signature is non-repudiation, which means that you cannot later deny having sent the message. It was encrypted with your key, and only you would have had access to that key. This is particularly useful for the related but somewhat different use of what is called an electronic signature. An electronic signature may or may not be encrypted, but it is used in place of an actual physical signature on documents. With more and more commerce and other activity taking place online, legal systems are developing standards for using electronic signatures as valid legal proof, and obviously the non-repudiation provided by an encrypted digital signature is very useful. The thing to keep in mind is that a digital signature does not encrypt in any way the actual message being sent. That message is in the clear, as cryptographers would say, meaning that anyone who gets the message can read it. That may be good enough for your purposes if all you want to do is guarantee that the message came from you and has not been altered. But if you want to actually keep the content secret, you need to go one step further and actually encrypt the message itself. That way, if anyone intercepts the message, all they will see is a blob of random noise that they cannot decrypt. The important point to remember when sending encrypted email is that you are not using your own keys to do this. Sending encrypted mail begins by using the public key of the recipient, so it is inherently a one-to-one -one procedure and not suitable for mailing lists, although you could put a digital signature on a message to a list without any problem. So to send an encrypted email to someone, you must first obtain their public key. Uh, we'll talk more about this. Uh, in fact, I'm thinking at this point, I've asked Tony Bemis from the Sunday Morning Linux Review to uh, join me and have a discussion about uh, all of the issues around obtaining keys. But uh, if you recall from uh, our lessons on creating key pairs, one of the last steps was to post the key to a public key server. So that is one way to do it. Uh, 
There can still be ambiguity about people who share names, and there is a serious problem of ensuring the identity of the owner of any given key, which we will talk about when I talk to Tony. For now, let's assume that you have the public key for your correspondent. Now, Thunderbird. Okay, Thunderbird is a great email client. It can be used to access either POP3 or IMAP servers. And the difference between that, POP3 stands for Post Office Protocol Version 3, and that was the old standard for email. Uh, You would log on to the mail server that your ISP told you to log into, and it would grab all of your mail, download it to your local machine, and delete it from the server. And that was something that ISPs very much insisted on because they didn't want to be keeping... Uh, all of this email on hand uh, back in a time when (coughs) storage costs were a lot higher than they are now. Now, the other protocol, IMAP, uh, Internet, oh, let's see, Internet Message Access Protocol, I think that is, Um, and that is based on everything staying on the server. You log in with your client, and you can move messages from one folder to another, Um, or delete them or whatever you want to do, but everything stays on the server. And these days, that's much more preferable. And now that storage costs have come down, uh, it's much more common. So that way you can access your mail from your desktop computer or from your mobile phone or what have you. And since it's on a server, no problem. Uh, Thunderbird is available cross-platform, Linux, Windows, and Macintosh, and in many languages. It's part of the Mozilla project, which also produces Firefox, and is free and open source. Thunderbird follows Firefox in using plugins and extensions to add to its capabilities, and one of these is what we're going to talk about today. It's a plugin called Enigmail. To install it, you do what you would do for any other plugin. Uh, in Thunderbird, you go to the Tools menu, Add-ons, Get Add-ons, and then in the search bar, type Enigmail, E-N-I-G-M-A-I-L. Select it and install it, and you're ready to go. Also, note that Enigmail is available for SeaMonkey and Postbox, as well as for Thunderbird. Enigmail uses GNU-PG, or GPG, as its core technology, and when you install it, you don't really need to do much more if you already created your keys previously using GNU-PG. Enigmail will look in the usual place for your GNU-PG key and use what it finds. But you can go to the preferences for Enigmail and give it a location, manually if necessary, Uh, then you need to associate it with an account. Now, if you only have one email account, that's going to be pretty easy, obviously. But some people may check two or more email accounts from one installation of Thunderbird. Now, if you recall from our description of creating the key, your email address was part of the key creations. They are tied together. You can add more email addresses to this key, but a better procedure is to have a key pair for each address. The reason is that anyone who decrypts a message from you automatically knows your email address from the decryption. And if you had multiple 
addresses configured on one key, all of them would be revealed to any recipient. Since we assume you are doing encryption to get privacy and security, you can see why a separate key pair for each address is preferred. Now, you, once uh, you have Enigmail installed, you have to configure it. So uh, installing it is going to put a menu in Thunderbird uh, called OpenPGP. So if you take a look at the, the menu bar at the top of Thunderbird, you've got this whole new menu there. Now, if you click on that, you've got a number of things, but towards the bottom there's an option called Setup Wizard that will step you through the initial configuration. So I'll, I'm going to assume that we're going to do that. So we click on the uh, Setup Wizard, um, and it's going to ask you a few questions, and we'll talk about those. The first question is whether you want to sign all outgoing email, or would you rather do it on a case-by-case basis? Now, you might think signing each email is a good thing to do, but there are costs involved. To sign an email, you have to provide your GPG passphrase. And if you actually did as we suggested and made it long and secure, it will be a big pain in the butt to do this for every single email you send. If you don't mind that, go ahead and sign everything, but I have chosen to be more selective. Now, you may think, hey, why don't I just make my passphrase something simple and easy? Well, now you have just reduced your security immensely. And wasn't that the purpose when we started, to get good security? So, uh, you know, make up your own mind. Uh, I make a conscious decision whether or not I want to sign uh, any given email. And it, it, it's got to be important enough for me to uh, open up KeyPass and find the card for my uh, GPG passphrase and copy it uh, and paste it into the window there. Now, the next screen is for setting encryption on all emails. Uh, it, you know, this is even less user-friendly than digital signing because encrypting outbound email requires that you have the public encryption key for each recipient. So, by definition, you cannot encrypt a message that goes to an email list with multiple recipients since each one of them would have a different public key. That's why the wizard tells you unless most of your communication partners have public keys, you should not enable encryption by default. I would listen to that. Uh, Chances are most of us only have a handful of of people that we communicate with regularly that have public keys. Um, When we want to, we can send them an encrypted email. Then the wizard asks permission to change some technical settings in Thunderbird to make encryption work better. You can click the details button to see what they're asking to do. For most people, they're not, what they're asking for is not a big problem. Uh, in fact, the biggest change you might see would be disabling the ability to compose HTML messages. You know, this makes sense because encryption is only possible with text. and HTML would just create a mess. Uh, next, the wizard asks you to select a key pair to use with your email. Now, the key pair you created earlier in GPG should appear here, unless for some reason you moved it to a non-standard location. But assuming you see it here, click on it once to highlight it, then click the Next button. 
This will take you to a screen that gives a summary of the settings you have made and tells you that clicking the next button one more time will put those settings into effect. So click the next button. You'll see a message that OpenPGP is now ready for use. Click Finish to close the wizard. Now, using this is actually pretty easy. Let's start with signing. All right. You open up, you click the right button, a menu opens up, uh, I mean, a, a window opens up, you, you create a whole message, and then you say, hey, I want to put a digital signature on this. Well, you go to the, uh, to the window, the, the message window will also have menus, and there'll be an open PGP menu in the message window. So you click on that, and the very first option there is sign message. So just click the, to put a check mark there. And then when you're done, you click the send button. Now when you do that, what's going to happen is a window will pop up asking for your GPG passphrase. Right? Anything you do with this stuff, you have to have your passphrase. So enter your passphrase and then your message will be sent with a digital signature. And what your recipient is going to get is something that says begin PGP signed message hash SHA-1. Um, and then they're going to see the message in the clear because this was not about encrypting the message. This was simply about guaranteeing its authenticity. Um, so your message will be there, your signature will be there, and then at the bottom there'll be begin PGP signature and a bunch of gobbledygook that looks like various numbers and letters and uppercase and lowercase and, you know, a few other characters, etc. Um, and then at the very bottom, end PGP signature. Now, SHA-1 stands for Secure Hash Algorithm 1, and this was an early standard for encryption. Uh, these days, it is not considered particularly secure as an encryption method, but we're not encrypting the message. We're simply guaranteeing its authenticity. So this is fine. Um, uh, SHA-1 is, a, I would say, roughly equivalent to MD5. Uh, neither one of them are suitable for actual security uh, of encrypting, but for the purpose we use them, uh, they're fine. Now, when your recipient receives the message, what happens depends on whether they have some kind of PGP or GPG configured in their email client. If they do not, they'll see the message, uh, just as I said. All right? They will see the actual message. They'll see the gobbledygook, etc. But uh, if they do have the appropriate software installed on their mail client, they will probably see some kind of message that says, this signature is good. Ideally, that would be the case. Uh, now, if something went wrong, they may get a message saying, ah, this is a bad signature. Uh, and that would alert them that, you know, okay, this may have been tampered with. Now, that's not a guarantee that it's been tampered with. Uh, there have been a number of problems over the years with software that sticks in trailing spaces where it shouldn't and what have you. And anything like that is going to throw off the, the, the signature. <coughs> now, Sending encrypted mail, not difficult either. So again, you'd, you'd click on the right uh, button and your composition window opens up. You, you write your message. 
Um, and now uh, what you do is you go to the, the open PGP menu, and instead of selecting, well, you could do both, I suppose, but I'm not sure there's a whole lot of point to it. But um, here, select uh, encrypt your message. And in this case, what happens is it's uh, they're going to get something that says begin PGP message, a whole bunch of gobbledygook end PGP message. This is the encrypted version of what you've sent. Now, there is no clear text message to view. That's the whole point. Um, so, And that's the difference between signing a message and encrypting a message. Now, in order to encrypt it, when you say, you know, you select you want to encrypt the message and you click send, you are going to be asked to specify who it is you're sending it to. Because remember, when you send this, you're not using your key, you're using the public key of the recipient. And you have to already have that in hand in order to do this. All right? So, uh, when your recipient gets it, they should then, in their mail client, uh, there should be something that... uh, you know, in Thunderbird, you can set up Enigmail to say automatically decrypt anything that comes into my mailbox. Or you can open the message and select, you know, decrypt this message. So you got a few options like that. With other clients, it might be slightly different. But uh, basically, if your recipient has configured their mail client properly, they can decrypt the message using their private key that you encrypted using their public key. So uh, that concludes this uh, initial look at email encryption. Uh, This is Ahuka signing off for Hacker Public Radio and reminding everyone, please support free software. Thank you. You have been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by a HBR listener like yourself. If you ever considered recording a podcast, then visit our website to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club. HBR is funded by the Binary Revolution at binrev.com. All Binrev projects are proudly sponsored by Lunar Pages. From shared hosting to custom private clouds, go to lunarpages.com for all your hosting needs. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 3.0 license.